Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Next week, next week, definitely invite someone. Uh, we're going to be showing the official trailer for, for my first feature film, uh, Southern Gospel, a movie about my dad's life. I'm excited about next week. Bring someone with you. It's going to be a very, very special Sunday. Today's special as well. And uh, I'm excited about this message on The Matrix. It's one of my favorite movies. And I have an idea that I'm hoping and praying will be something that will stick with you. But before I get into that, I can't help but uh, just recognize some of the things that we've been through recently as a church. Uh, You go through seasons of your life where you're celebrating all these amazing things. And it feels like sometimes there's years that go by where you don't have to deal with with these huge events that are just rocking your your church, but uh, we've just dealt with some lately. A couple of weeks ago, obviously, we lost uh, one of the pillars of our church, Sully Sullivan, one of our elders. Uh, this week, uh, we lost another incredible elder, uh, Kathy Swart, Harry and Kathy Swart, some of the pillars of our church. You may know uh, their kids, uh, Andy and Kelly Bomber, and their amazing family. Uh, they're sort of the patriarchs of that family, and Kathy uh, was around here since the very beginning of the church, Harry and Kathy, and uh, someone who mentored me, uh, mentored my wife, Pastor Amy, and uh, has been a part of every, Harry and Kathy have served on every single blink, uh, very successful accountants in the community, and for for decades have just been involved hands-on in everything, teaching classes, showing up to every single event. They could be anywhere doing anything, uh, but have been here every single week uh, a part of our church family and we lost someone very dear to us so I'm just going to ask in this service uh, if we could just just stretch your hands up here toward the front of the building we're going to pray for Harry and his family right now he was in the first service right here we got to pray with him but those of you that are watching online uh, please please stretch your hands out as well let's pray for that family and just build them up right now in Jesus name Father we thank you for church family at a time like this we're we're struggling uh, just in our own soul trying to wrestle with the issues of how do you replace you can't but what do you even do uh, when people of this level who have given so much to the kingdom so much wisdom and knowledge go to be with you lord we pray right now for harry and for the bomb family and uh, just pray right now in the name of jesus that your encouragement your strength would fill them uh, beyond what we can understand that's that's what peace that surpasses all understanding means uh, father give them encouragement during this time of grief grief let them lean on you and build them up today in Jesus name amen uh, also we have other families uh, elders in our church that are dealing with health issues right now uh, in, in the hospital as we speak uh, we need miracles in our church right now uh, but I'm telling you something. We serve the God of miracles, and we're going to see miracles in the name of Jesus. We need miracles, and we'll get them because our faith is not in ourself. It's in Jesus. And uh, I'm believing right now today is a day some things are going to turn around, and we're going to start hearing some extraordinary reports of God's favor, his miraculous favor. And I, 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 was anyone here at Revival Nights on Tuesday night? What, a, what an incredible night, man. We started pressing into something. I'm telling you something. Look around. Because what empty seats you see uh, in this church 
are going to be filled very soon with people that desperately need Jesus because revival is coming to Osceola County. Does anyone agree with me? Revival is coming to Osceola County. We're going to see God move in our city because he has spoken some things to us. And we're taking hold of it by faith and we're believing it. So I want to start hearing those amazing reports. Yesterday, you know, it's tough being at a funeral. Uh, and, and I think something about a funeral that's special is it brings all kinds of different people together. And I was telling uh, Sandy, Sully's wife, in, in this last service, I said, I saw someone at that funeral yesterday that I have not seen in 20 years. Uh, by the way, I celebrated my 20-year anniversary this year with my wife, Amy. So in 20 years, that's, that's not bad, right? 20 years, that's pretty good. Yesterday was my 49th birthday, too. So uh, I'm, I'm at church on my birthday, excited about what God is doing. But I, I saw this... A lady at the funeral yesterday that I haven't seen in a long time. Sometimes you see people at funerals that you haven't seen in a long time. This lady, I haven't seen her in 20 years. The last time I saw her, I was telling Sandy, it was at a, re a restaurant. And here's the last thing I said to her. I walked up to her and I said, congratulations. She said, for what? I said, well, you're pregnant. She said, I'm not pregnant. So I did what any good pastor would do in that situation. I lied. I said, somebody told me you were pregnant. I said, who told me? Who told me that? Who told She said, I don't know who told you that. I just felt like a complete. So now, you know what my policy is now? I don't care. I mean, if you're giving birth in the lobby, the foyer of the church, I'm going to walk. If they say, pastor, she's giving, I'm going to walk by. She, says, she doesn't look pregnant to me. I'm telling you, I don't know. I just stay out of that conversation. I'm done with the whole pregnancy. I learned my lesson. So uh, I, I'm growing every year. I'm growing and learning. Today, we are uh, talking about the matrix in this Blockbuster series. I got a pretty simple text scripture. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Here's the scripture. It says this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Read that with me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to talk to you about the matrix today. Father, thank you for your faithfulness, your goodness, your friendship, your kindness, your mercy, your love, all these things that are overpouring. I pray for strength for families that are here today that are dealing with difficulties and crisis-level things but are still here giving, serving, loving people, trusting you. We serve the God of the miraculous. It's not imposition on you to ask you for something great. It's so easy for you, God. You are the God of everything, and we trust you today for everything that we can't control. We give it to you. Ask today well, that you make these words come alive. Energize hearts. Encourage people. Give them hope today. Let them lean on your word. Let them lean into Jesus today, God, as we trust you through the difficult times. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody in the room said, Amen. By the way, uh, some of the things going on with kids' church, things like that, we have just been facing some crazy stuff this week. I I'm telling you, like eight or nine, I think nine different staff members that I have are sick right now. Got sick from other staff members, people getting sick here. You got this one person lined up to come, no problem. We got a backup. I'm not even joking with this. We got a backup. They call. I'm sick too. You say, not a problem. We're not just too deep. We're three deep. Then the, th the third person calls, said, oh, by the way, I'm coughing. So it's just one of these crazy things where it just all kind of happened at the same time. So everybody's struggling to make things work right now, but we got miracles coming. It's, it's coming uh, down the way, and you watch what God is going to do. So we're, we're, we're still moving forward. It's still going to do what God has called us to do, but pray for us too. 
uh, we're going through. I got family members that have COVID right now. So it's, it's, uh, it's tough right now when you're going through this kind of stuff. All right, so uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. But I'm quarantined from my own family. You ever been quarantined from your family? That's tough right there when you got someone on a different end of the house and you got to live in a completely separate part. I hadn't seen them in a long time. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You say, what is that poor in spirit? I don't like the sound of that. Well, no one does. That's why no one reads it. You don't want to take in something that you don't understand. I don't want anything to do with poor. I grew up poor. And now that I'm not poor, the last thing I want to do is get poor again. That's why Jesus says stuff like this, to make us uncomfortable, to make us deal with things that we don't want to have to think about because this might be the key to life. So in this concept... The reason that I chose the Matrix to use this scripture and to tie the scripture to is in the Matrix, the movie is about a guy who's going through life. He thinks he knows what everything is about. And all of a sudden, somebody presents him with a red pill and a blue pill and says, if you take the blue pill, you'll continue living the life that you've lived to this day. You're going to go to work. You're going to go to you know, restaurants. You're going to go on dates. Everything will be fun. You're going to try to get a raise. You're going to try to keep living life as normal. And you will be fine. You'll never think about this conversation again but if you take the red pill on the other hand I'm going to show you how the world really works and it's going to be really tough you're not going to like it at all but you're going to find out the truth and the reality of what the world really looks like and you're going to have to learn how to walk again you're going to have to learn how to talk again you're going to have to learn how to live you're going to have to learn how to reframe your thinking on everything but you're going to be dealing with reality what do you want and this character Neo chooses the red pill he says okay fine show me what it's like so all of a sudden he realizes by taking the red pill, oh, this is kind of a mind-blowing twist here, in the movie, what he realizes is that, is that nothing is real. Everything that you see around you. I mean, so in, in the movie, the example would be everything you see, your job, your work, cars, the road, the clothes you're wearing, everything is a simulation in your brain that computers have you hooked up to these machines and they're harvesting your energy and the way they keep you alive to continue harvesting your energy to power them is to give you this thing called the matrix, which makes you believe that you have a family and a wife and you you go to church and you all, in the movie, the matrix is the simulation world that we think is our reality. So it's a mind blowing twist from a science fiction standpoint. As a matter of fact, it's so intense that some people even philosophically scientists believe this could actually possibly be true. They're nuts, but they actually think that it's real. Like this is the matrix that we're in a matrix and we're somewhere else doing something else. And this is just a simulation. But to me, when I started processing this today, rather than going down the sci-fi road, my thought is this. What, what thought could I dig into in the word that could be as revolutionary and as groundbreaking as that idea? And I came up with this. The greatest sermon that has ever been preached is the Sermon on the Mount. The very first thing that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount is, blessed are the poor in spirit. Okay, I don't think that's a term that we use too often. We don't say, oh man, I really appreciate you. You're very poor in spirit. You'd probably slap someone if they said that to you because we're not familiar with that term, poor in spirit, but it's actually a compliment. It's a prerequisite for even being a part of the kingdom of God is to be poor in spirit. So as weird as this sounds, I want you to look at someone next to you and say, I have to have a poor spirit. Okay, so poor not meaning bad, like when my kids, you know, growing up, when my kids were little, we said, 
you may not show poor behavior. We didn't want to say bad. So we would say you may not show poor behavior. So in that context, it really means bad. It means you're not doing what's expected of you. But in the sense of what, the way Jesus is using it, he's saying there's two kinds of people. There are people that are wealthy spiritually. And what, what that means, what I mean by that is wealthy spiritually is you feel value spiritually. Like you can control your destiny. You can control your fate. Like you're good enough that God must recognize you and bless you and accept you and answer your prayers based on how good you are. You feel spiritual wealth. The opposite is someone who is spiritually poor. And a spiritually poor person is a person who recognizes that they have nothing of value to offer God. Do you remember that story about the two people that were praying and one man who was a, a publican was praying and he was, uh, he, he, was, he was saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. I, I, uh, he was a Pharisee. He said, I thank you that I'm not like this other man right here and I, I pray all the time and I tithe and I do all the right things and, and I thank you that I deserve all the blessings and he's praying this arrogant prayer and this other guy just beat his chest he couldn't even lift his head up and he beat he beat his chest he says and I'm not worthy and and Jesus said which one of these men do you think went home justified the one that was rich in spirit or the one that was poor in spirit that's a good example of poverty spiritual poverty is something we should crave we're not in the practice of trying to achieve poverty Everyone is out there. They're like, oh, I got another job. I got this job. My, I got more money than I've ever had in my life. I have this opportunity to make the most money I've ever made in my entire world. And our quest typically is to get more, more, more. We're trying to get away from poverty. That's what most people are trying to do. So who is trying to craft a life of poverty? But that's what Jesus is telling us right here. He said, blessed, blessed. Wealthy, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, there's a story that illustrates this in Luke chapter 16. This is a crazy cool story. It is about a rich man. It goes like this, and a poor man. It says, there's a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus. This is not the Lazarus that Jesus said, come forth. Jesus' friend is a completely different guy. It says this guy was covered with sores. And he desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. So he sits outside this guy's gate every day. He's got sores. The Bible says dogs came and licked his sores every day. You've got to be in a pretty bad condition. So he's sick. He's, he, he needs medical attention. Dogs are licking him. He sees the guy come in every day. He's like, oh, man, I just wish I could have some of those crumbs that fell from his food. So they knew each other. He's, the, the rich guy saw him sitting there every day. And it said the poor man died, was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Now, we're not trying to get too detailed on the geography of the afterlife here today. That's not my point in using this story is not that. But in this story, pre-resurrected Jesus, it's different now. And I can go into that on a different teaching. And I would love to do that if you'd be interested in that. But in this story, you have people over on one side that are in this place called Abraham's bosom. Remember in the Bible when John leaned on the chest of Jesus and was like close to Jesus? I think that's why it's called Abraham's bosom. Is it means Abraham is like the patriarch of the faith. And in the afterlife, pre-resurrected Jesus, people went to this place. And it was a peaceful paradise where there, there's comfort. 
there. But right across the way is this place, Hades, where all these people go that are being tormented. And it's basically like hell. But in this particular context, the people in hell can see the people that are in heaven. And they can talk to each other. And it says, he's carried to Abraham's side. The rich man died. It was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So he's sitting there in pain. Why is he in hell? He rejected God. He was never poor in spirit. He was rich in his bank account, but he was rich in his spirit is what got him in hell. And what I mean is he thought he could buy his way to spiritual blessing. You can't do it. He thought he could control his way into favorable positions throughout his life and eternity. He couldn't do it. No bank account, no, no bank account is worth anything eternally. Can I get an amen? No, no bank account is worth anything when it comes to eternal rewards. So he's over here in hell. He looks over. He goes, wait a minute. That's that beggar. That's that beggar that sits outside of my gate every day. So even in hell, being tormented for his sins and punished for his sins, he calls over to Abraham, who is like a, a, a patriarch of the faith, and starts ordering Abraham around. So he's not sorry for any of his sins. He calls out. He says, Father Abraham... Have mercy on me and send Lazarus, ordering Lazarus around, who is being rewarded in, in heaven, to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. And Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. And in like manner, Lazarus, bad things. But now he's comforted here, and you're in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you can't, and none can cross from you to us. So this is an important part of the story because if you're just reading at first glance, you think, oh, well, this guy's in hell because he was rich. No, that's not true. Abraham was rich. He had almost innumerable wealth. Uh, Job was rich. Zacchaeus was rich. We know that throughout Scripture, there are many people who had lots of money, who were rich, but understood the power of spiritual poverty. So the story is not about this guy being punished because he was rich. The story is about a man who is in hell because he was spiritually rich without God. He tried to be spiritually rich without God. But Lazarus was poor, but he was spiritually poor. He knew he needed God. So he's being rewarded eternally. This guy is being punished eternally. In this parable, we find a man who refuses to admit that he's wrong, even though he's being punished. By the way, I'm just going to tell you something. In hell, don't ever think there are going to be people in hell. By the way, there is a hell. Hell is not just, oh, it's your opinion, there's hell. If you read the Bible, Jesus talks about hell more than he talks about heaven. Literally, read it. Statistically, hell is an actual place where people that are, you say, well, I don't like the way that sounds. I don't want to serve a God that, that has a hell. You don't get to choose what, you don't get to go, okay, well, I'm, I'm not going to believe in you if you have this or that. That's not the way it works. This is the way the Bible teaches us eternity is going to be. Hell is not going to be a place with people that are going, I am so sorry, God, Jesus, I worship you, I serve you. No one will do that. Why? Because we see in this story, He's ordering him around. Never one time does he say, I'm sorry for what I did. 
I'm sorry, God, that I pushed you out. I'm sorry that I tried to do it on my own. No, he goes on, and if you want to finish the story, he says, okay, well, if he can't come over here, send him to my house to tell my five brothers because they don't even know about this place. He's mad. They don't know about this place. They need to find out. And, and Abraham goes, look, dude, they, they got the Bible. He says they have, he has Moses and the prophets that's saying the Bible. They have the Bible. Have them listen to the Bible. He goes, well, they won't believe that. Send somebody. He goes, look, if they don't believe the Bible, then they're not even going to believe somebody that's resurrected from the dead. He says, I could send somebody to their house right now that's resurrected from the dead, Lazarus. And if they don't believe the Bible, then they won't believe someone that's resurrected. It's the same way today. Not only do people not believe the Bible, but there is someone who has been resurrected. Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, I will come in and I will fellowship with him and he with me. Jesus is knocking on the doors of hearts every single day, but people choose to reject him. People are not in hell accidentally. No one will ever be sorry for anything they've done in hell. You say, oh, yeah, but the Bible says every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Gotcha, Pastor Jeff. No, it says they will confess that he is Lord. It doesn't mean they will say they, that they are sorry and ask him to be the Lord of their life. They will be forced to acknowledge Jesus was Lord, but I rejected him. They will continue to reject him through eternity. If you've never read the book, The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis, one of the things I love from that book is it says, the gates of hell are locked from the inside. People that choose to be there. What's interesting is that my, my message today is not on hell. It's on spiritual poverty. But what I'm trying to tell you is that the people that will be in hell someday are people who never understood the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you want to inherit the kingdom of heaven, you have to be spiritually broken. You have to be spiritually humble. You have to be like that man that was praying, that beat his chest, that said, God, I don't even deserve for you to listen to me. I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. I'm just a sinner. And said he beat his chest. This has to be the posture of our spirit. You can't come fixed to God. You can't come with everything put together. That's why I love when I meet people that go, I'm a mess. God would never want me. I go, no, you're perfect. That's exactly what God is looking for. I worry about the people saying, okay, what can I do here? I've run 45 ministries in my life. Here's the ministry that I have. You need to use, but here's what I need to do. What do I do? What do I do? That, I worry about that. Why? That's not spiritually poor. That's spiritually rich and is dangerous. Sounds a lot, a lot like this guy that was over here. I've been there before. I've been down that road. You know, the older I get, you know, celebrating my birthday yesterday with all these people that I love that are in the hospital, that are sick. Yesterday was not, you know, necessarily the, the way that I would envision spending a birthday, doing a funeral for someone I'm very dear to, but it's the way I want to spend a birthday when it represents what real life looks like. And it reminds me of where I am on this journey. On this journey of faith, I'm a person who is growing. And I have grown over the years, and I'm growing to be the man that God wants me to be. I want to be a person who represents the kind of spiritual poverty every day that this is talking about. If I'm not moving toward that, I'm failing every year that I have a birthday. I might as well just end it right then. Because if I'm not growing, it's not worth anything. 
I'm growing and I'm becoming more like this. This is what this is all about. We have to learn how to admit that we can't do it ourselves. We're wrong. If, if you're rich, you better be poor in spirit because it's dangerous. It, it's, the Bible says it's hard for a rich person to enter into heaven. Why? Because you can buy everything. You can fix your problems. If you've got a problem, you don't need the Bible. Just go find a counselor. Find someone that will counsel you into the advice that you want to hear. If you're sick, you don't need Jehovah Rapha. If you can just find someone that can medically cure you the way you want to be cured. If, if you're rich enough, you don't have to pray for God to send you the right spouse. Just go on Tinder. And, and, and buy a promoted account or something. I don't even know if you can do that. Whatever. I mean, whatever it is that you do that can hook yourself up in life, you can figure out a way to make it happen if you've got enough resources. That's why it's tough. If you've got money or you're blessed or you're wealthy, be cautious because you better be poor in spirit. Here's the way to say it. Those who acknowledge themselves as spiritually bankrupt can enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so let's just, as a practice, you may not be used to saying this. You may, and by the way, our culture hates what I'm preaching right now. Because what I'm preaching right now, the world hates this message. Because everything in our world is about figuring it all out. And being confident. And, 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 and being wealthy and having everything in life. And having everything figured out. Nobody likes to do what I'm going to have you do right now. Including me. But I'm going to do it anyways. Okay, So here, let's lift our hands up and let's say, Lord, I am nothing without you. Say, I'm spiritually bankrupt, morally bankrupt. I have nothing to bring to the table that you need. Say, my salvation is in you. My hope is in Jesus. Teach me how to be reminded of this every second of every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Nobody enters God's kingdom without acknowledging what you just acknowledged. It does not matter how many times you've walked the aisle. It doesn't matter how many times you walked up on the stage at Blink. It doesn't matter how many commitment cards you have. It doesn't matter if I personally signed your Jesus First, Jesus Always book. It doesn't matter if you went to an Oral Roberts uh, crusade when you were a little kid and, and, and you still have the poster. None of that matters if you have never made yourself spiritually bankrupt, if you don't recognize that you can't save yourself, you can't earn it. You can't do anything without God. I hope that's the red pill for you today. If you've been trying to figure all this out on your own or just make all the right moves or just kind of avoid dodge disaster, be careful. That's, that's scary what I just said right there because I've done that. When I first became a senior pastor, did you know like the first year of, of my pastorate, one of my best friends, Pastor Dave, died of cancer, 28 years old. My son got diagnosed with a, a disease and I had a doctor sitting there looking at me telling me he thought he had tumors all down his back and I'm going three different times. I was told that he had cystic fibrosis. I didn't even know what that was. I had heard of it, but I didn't know what it was. I had to look it up. All these things that were hitting me, 
I had dodged disaster in my life for so many years. I was 38 years old and thought that I was this great person of faith because I prayed for a lot of people and they got healed. I mean, in, my, in the early days of my ministry, I was so focused on miracles. I was in Baltimore at a church up there, a rock church. I was doing a revival, packed house, thousands of people there preached, sang, laid hands on people, uh, m- dozens of miracles, people getting delivered from alcohol addiction, drug addiction, cigarettes, all kind of stuff, prophetic words going on. A lady comes up skinny, thin, gaunt, looking like she's dying. I didn't even know what I was praying for. She said, praying for me, I'm dying. I prayed for her. She sent me a newspaper that on the front page of the newspaper says, woman miraculously healed of HIV and AIDS. When I had prayed for this woman, the Lord just said she's got a deadly disease and I I had a prophetic word, pray for it in Jesus' name. She sent me the cover, sent me the doctor's medical reports, which I still have to this day. And she got healed of AIDS in that. But you know what's interesting is I saw the power of God move in my life and through ministry in other people, but I had never had to deal with a lot of personal things in my life. I had dodged a lot of disaster and I actually was not poor in spirit because I thought I could figure a lot of things out. It was only when I faced these things that I couldn't do anything about that I had to figure out what it was to become poor in spirit. And I sat in my closet in the dark It's not my proudest moment. If I turned all the lights off for almost 24 hours and tried to rebuild what I know about life, you know what I came to? I came to the point where I said, God, I have nothing. I am nothing. And I can do nothing without you. You have to be my everything. And I had to rebuild everything I am from that point. That's the first time in my life I think I ever got to the point where I realized that I had to be poor in spirit if I was ever going to be a real part of the kingdom. And I got to stay there. I got to remind myself of that. You have to acknowledge that you're spiritually bankrupt to enter. And let me tell you, you say, well, I'm not sure I fully understand what it is. Okay, well, then let me tell you what it isn't. Poor in spirit is not someone who has low self-worth. And you meet all these people that are all the time talking about how they're nothing, they're nobody, they're losers. That's, that's, you've got a confidence problem. I mean, you need to read some scriptures about you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You need to be encouraged today. That's not what poor in spirit is. It do, it's not the absence of self-worth. It's not that we believe we're zeros. That, that attitude is not even scriptural. You know, Christ's death on our behalf teaches us that we have great value. Also, poor in spirit doesn't mean people that are shy. You're like, I'm shy. That, that's, that doesn't mean anything. That's not poor in spirit. There's a lot of people that are shy that are really arrogant. Uh, it's, not, it's not being shy. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's also not people that tell you how humble they are. Have you ever met someone like that? My dad always talks about this one guy he, he met. He goes, hello, nice to meet you, Pastor. I just want to let you know I'm the most humble man that you will ever meet. Isn't that the opposite? Of, I mean, that, you don't want to talk about that like that. So it's definitely not people that want to show you or, or always, you know, photo op every humble thing they do. Uh, one of my favorite theologians, uh, David Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, I love his stuff. Anyone ever is wondering kinds of people that I read or, or people that I enjoy uh, following? He was an incredible man. I love, love his thoughts on, on the Lord and on the Bible. But he tells a story of meeting a guy 
that had this bad attitude. I can't stand this attitude. I've seen this a billion times. He says that he arrived, David Martin Lloyd-Jones arrived at the train station to preach at a church and this man walks up and he rips his suitcase away from, from his hand and he says, I'm the deacon in the church where you're preaching tomorrow. He says, I'm a nobody, a very unimportant man. Really, I don't count. I'm not a great man in the church. I'm just one of those men who carry the bags for the minister. And Martin Lloyd, David Martin Lloyd-Jones observed, he was so anxious that I should know what a humble man he was, how poor in spirit he was, yet by his anxiety to make it known, he was denying the very thing he was trying to establish. So by telling him how he was a nobody, oh, I'm nothing, I'm just the guy who carries the bags, he wanted him to know, so desperately to know how humble he was that he was betraying the very principle he was trying to convey. That's not what poor in spirit is. What does it mean? Well, the Greek word for poor is tochos, P-T-O-C-H-O-S. And it comes from a, a word that means to cower and to cringe like a beggar. If you say, well, that's not like me, well, you should worry a little bit because that's what our spirit is supposed to look like. Our spirit is supposed, you say, well, I'm, I'm supposed to be confident. I thought I was supposed to have confidence in Christ. Oh, catch this. If you want to know what confidence in Christ looks like, it starts with this. And let me tell you what I mean. You, you might have heard me say before in Jesus first, Jesus always, that there's only one throne on your heart and Jesus won't compete for it. What does that mean? It means that if you try to rule your life, Jesus will let you do your thing. He'll stand back and wait. But the moment you step off the throne and go, I can't do that. I'm not good at this. I can't do this. He'll go, do And you go, yeah, he goes, okay, good. Just get off, okay? I, I got this, I got this. He'll jump right on. See, if, if you think you can heal yourself, Jesus will go, oh, you want, you want to try that? Because I'm actually really good at that. You, okay, you got it? Okay, I'm, I'm good, I'm right here. I'm right here. But the moment you go, you, you want to fix your own marriage? Jesus goes, yeah? You, you, oh, whoa, you think you, oh, man. Yeah, yeah, that's not going to work. Okay, I'll just be over here. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have an Oreo and drink some Mountain Dew while I wait on you. That's, that's bad. He'll just wait. That's what I mean he won't compete. But the moment you go, God, I'm nothing. I can't. He goes, I can. I can't. I will if you'll let me. I can't. I, I can't. I can't. Be generous, but I can. If you let me, I can't have power. I am your power. You will receive power when you receive me. You follow me today? Come on. We got to get out of the way today. We got to learn how to get poor in spirit. We got to learn how to humble our spirit. That's why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I, Paul, I can't do anything, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It is no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. Oh, see, that's the revelation today of what being poor in spirit actually looks like. 
It means I can't, but he can and he will through me. It's a life of resignation, of giving up everything, but gaining everything in him. You have to lose it all before you get it all through him. That's what poor in spirit looks like. Stop trying to win your battles today. Stop trying to figure it all out today. Stop trying to buy the solutions today. Actually throw up your hands and say, I can't do this anymore. But you can, God. That's what poor in spirit looks like. See, you have to be amazed. You have to be amazed that God loved you enough to give you a chance. If you're not, please listen to the gospel again for the first time, because you have to believe your story is the greatest. See, I believe my story is the greatest. I hear all these other people, stories, even my dad's story. I made a movie about it, it's incredible. He's on drugs, in jail, facing years in the penitentiary when God saved him. I don't really have a story like that. Mine is a little more like someone who grew up in church, mostly doing the right things, stupid, did a lot of dumb things, had all kinds of addictions in my life. Pornography was an addiction in my life. Uh, couldn't find a, a real peg to hang that story on other than this. In the middle of all that, when I was about 30, I went to a weekend where Jesus spoke to me. And through all my addictions, all the things that I dealt with in my life, he said, Jeffrey, he said, I loved you before those things were a problem. I loved you when they were a problem, and I'm gonna love you when they're not a problem for you anymore. And he spoke to me that day that he loved me. And you know what? I couldn't believe that God showed me that kind of love and forgave me for the things I did because I didn't do them like my dad in foolishness. I knew all the stupid things that I was doing. I knew they were wrong, but I did them anyways because I wanted to. So my story to me is the, it's the greatest story. Why? Because he did it for me. We have to feel that way about our life. Put your hand in the air, say, my story is the greatest story of grace. I've ever heard. Does anyone really believe that today or are you just doing that because I told you to? If you believe it today, give God a praise today. If you believe your story, you can't believe God saved you. I'm gonna close with this story. I love this story. It's a story of one of England's most distinguished judges. And he went to this large church in England where every year, the first week of January, all three of the local churches that were under this huge church would come together for communion. And he walked up to the front and kneeled down to take his communion. And he just so happened to be kneeling next to a man from one of the other lower churches that was in a crime ridden area, who was a reformed burglar that he had sentenced many years before who had gotten out of jail, committed his life to Christ and was up worshiping alongside of him. So he sees kneeling right next to this famous 
burglar who now was saved. So they're both up there doing their thing. And after church is over, the judge is walking outside with the pastor. And he said, pastor, did you see who I was kneeling next to today? And the pastor said, yes, I did. He said, I, I thought maybe you didn't notice. He said, oh no. He said, I, I did notice. And the judge declared, he said, what a miracle of grace. And when he said, the pastor nodded and said, yes, what a miracle of grace. And the judge said, just out of curiosity, he said, who are you referring to? And he said, well, of course, I'm referring to the convict that was kneeling next to you. He said, but I wasn't referring to the convict. And the pastor said, you were thinking of yourself? I don't understand. The judge went on. He goes, oh, yeah, I was thinking of myself. He said, because it was natural for the burglar to respond to God's grace when he came out of jail. His life was nothing but a desperate history of crime. And when he saw the Savior, he knew that there was salvation and hope and joy for him. He understood how much he needed that help. But I was taught from my earliest infancy to be a gentleman, that my word was my bond, that I was to say my prayers, go to church, receive communion. I went to Oxford. I got my degree. I was called to the bar and eventually ascended to the high position of judge. He said, but I'm going to tell you something right now, Pastor. He said, it was God's grace that drew me there. It was God's grace that opened my heart in the first place to receive Christ. I am the greatest miracle of all of God's grace because I could have told myself I didn't need it. It's only Him that can cause our hearts to feel the need for heaven. Do you feel that need for heaven today? Those that are watching online, do you feel that need for heaven? Do you feel like you're the greatest miracle of grace? Because Jesus says, blessed, that word blessed means approved by God. We all love approval. Approval's great. You could get 10,000 Instagram likes on your account, but if you don't have the approval of heaven, it's all worth nothing. Blessed is the one are beggars in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven now and forevermore so I ask you and I leave you with this question today do you want to take the red pill do you want to wake up today to the truth and the reality that everything is not what it appears that in order to gain access into kingdom living you must first be broken humble spirit if you take that pill it might be ugly it might be tough it might be hard you might have to rebuild some things rethink some things but I promise you your life will never be the same if you call on Jesus in that way today so I want to give you that opportunity for every person in the room this concludes the teaching if you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.